Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, a few weeks ago on the podcast, I highlighted a recent LifeWay research survey about how pastors were viewing their ministries after the pandemic. But another significant aspect of that survey was how pastors are currently viewing their personal lives. And while the survey focused mainly on pastors, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that some of the information gleaned from this survey really relates to all of us who are in ministry leadership roles. In this recent survey, one of the highest rated concerns of pastors, and therefore I'll say ministry leaders, was the issue of overcommitment and developing margin in our lives as leaders. Now, I've talked with you on the podcast in uh, recent months about time management and other related issues, but the issue of developing margin and of seeing the use of time through that lens is something that we've really not uh, investigated. Fortunately, uh, we have someone here at Gateway Seminary who's done a good bit of work on this theme. I want to introduce you today to my guest on the podcast, Dr. Rich Johnstone, who is Associate Professor of Leadership Formation here at the seminary. Now, Rich has only been with us about a year, but prior to that, he served for nine years as a SEND missionary in the San Francisco Bay Area, and before that, for a dozen years as the Director of Missions in the Fresno, California area, and before that, as a Director of Missions in other contexts and in other kinds of leadership roles. I guess what I'm trying to say, Rich, is that over the last few years, you've spent a lot of time observing pastors and other ministry leaders and seeing patterns in some of their lives that were very healthy and, frankly, in some others that were not so healthy. Would that be an accurate appraisal of how you've uh, seen people over these last years? Uh, Good to be with you, Dr. Orge, and that's correct. It's been a delight of my life to work alongside with, serve, and serve under, and uh, on on occasions lead pastors throughout California. Yeah, and from that vantage point, you have a a good perspective, I think, on this issue of margin in ministry leadership. And so I want to dive right into it and let you talk through with us some of the insights you've gained over the years. So I guess, first of all, what got you interested in the concept of margin in ministry leadership? It goes back to when I first got called as a teenager, started reading the Bible through for the first time myself, and I realized how unhealthy many of the Bible characters that we hold up as heroes really were. Wasn't that interesting, Rich, about how honest the Bible is? You know, it's not just a book of success stories of famous people. It's a book of real issues that real leaders had to live through. So go ahead. That's a great so, insight. So it surprised me. And I, uh, as I was reading through the Old Testament for the first time as a, as a teenager, I read the story of Saul. Uh, in 1 Samuel, and I read the passage, and it kicked me in the gut, where God says, I was sorry that I made Saul king because of Saul's disobedience. And uh, it occurred to me that whatever I have to do, I don't want to be Saul. I want to get through a life of ministry that I was newly called to uh, for a lifetime. I love the way you said that. I don't want to be that man. I think that's a great insight. So from a very early days, really, of your answering God's call to ministry, you saw in the Bible how some people did well and some didn't, and you really wanted to be on the side of those who really did well. You said once that your goal is to be fit for life, meaning that you're fit in every area of life. Why don't you talk about what you mean by some of those areas? So uh, so being fit for life, I mean, I, I do like being fit physically, and I do pay attention to that, uh, just to be exercise and eating, but... 
Also, just in terms of, of being spiritually fit um, and having capacity emotionally and just seeing some of these areas that uh, um, where I, I just don't want to get derailed financially. I've, I've not always been fit financially, but uh, have had to make some course corrections along, actually along every one of these areas, uh, even as I grow relationally. But I've seen, I've seen ministers throughout California, some of the guys who preceded me in ministry, a generation ahead of me, I hold them up as uh, men to emulate. I, I, I think of Dr. Glenn Payton, Mm-hmm. Uh, a champion in California ministry through uh, the last couple of generations till he passed on. And uh, I, I was able to, even after he was retired, tap into his expertise. Uh, he was a, a man of, of clarity. He stayed fresh with Jesus. He stayed fresh with current events. I would be always willing to ask him to preach in whatever setting that I was in because he stayed so fresh and current with Jesus. Mm. Well, I think what got you interested in the concept of margin is sort of a combination of these inputs. You had this early experience with the Bible in which you really established a pattern of wanting to be the right kind of leader. And then over the years, you've encountered some really healthy leaders, like you just mentioned, Glenn Payton, and perhaps others along the way who inspired you that this goal of being fit for life really was achievable and something that you could not only aspire to, but you could actually accomplish. Now, part of being fit for life is... Uh, developing and maintaining what we call margin. So let me ask you to give us a definition. What is margin? What do you mean by the concept? I I would tap into Dr. Richard Swenson's definition. He defines margin as the load minus the limit. So when you are at capacity and compare that with your current life, uh, is there a margin between your capacity and how you're living? And so limit minus load equals margin, according to Dr. Swenson. I thought this was uh, helpful just in in a way of of, um, uh, perceiving how much work, how how driven does a person need to be? And is is being driven, is that more spiritual necessarily than than maintaining a pace of life that is sustainable? Yeah, you said uh, in one other uh, thing you mentioned to me that margin is the buffer space on this side of God's guardrails. Man, I love that imagery. Margin is the buffer space on this side of God's guardrails. Uh, Just a few days ago, my wife and I took a drive up into the mountains here near the campus, and there are some windy roads up there, and the guardrails uh, protect you from a significant drop-off. And as long as I kept the cushion on my side of the guardrail or the buffer on my side of the guardrail, I knew I was always going to be fine. But man, you break through that buffer, then you break through that guardrail, and then you got disaster on the other side. So I love the imagery. Talk to us more about that, Rich. What does it mean that margin is the buffer space? And why do you say it's on this side of God's guardrails, implying there that God has somehow set some limits in our lives that he wants us to be careful not to exceed? Um, these, these limits are God-prescribed. He uh, ordered this world according to the way that he wanted to design it. And because of that, there are limits. Uh, he, he places physical limits on us, uh, spiritual, emotional, financial limits. And uh, so I, I think the, many people design their life in order to get as close to the guardrail and flirt with it uh, as, as much as they can. For example, uh, in, in time, if you schedule every minute of every day um, and you don't leave margin to stop, pause, and think even throughout the day, 
then you're flirting with God's limit. God uh, has, has limited us in, in terms of our own capacity. We have a range of tolerances that are hardwired, and uh, those are, those are uh, not necessarily uh, established by us, but they are preordained by God as to how he designed us and wired mm-hmm. us according to his image. Yeah, I think that has to do not just with use of time, but also, uh, as we'll talk a little more later in the podcast, it has to do with how we're made physically and how we can only press ourselves so far before we start to break down. Uh, and then you've already mentioned uh, financially, but there's also emotionally just some of these areas. You mentioned uh, this idea that you, if you schedule your life uh, sort of wall-to-wall, if you will, you'll find yourself very quickly uh, violating some of God's standards about how time is supposed to be used. Now, I've taught this before on the podcast. I'll just mention it again today. I developed something many years ago called the six-hour rule. When I first started out in ministry leadership, I would schedule all of my day, almost every minute of my day with these meaningful activities that I thought just had to be done. And so what happened was as my day unfolded and the phone rang, people dropped by my office, uh, people needed to see me about an issue, my frustration level just went higher and higher and higher because they were infringing on my time. And then I developed this thing called the six-hour rule, and that is I only schedule six hours of work every day. Now, that doesn't mean I don't work six hours every day. I work a lot more than six hours a day. But every morning, I try to start out with a plan that says, this is six hours of work that I'm scheduling for today, believing that the rest of my day is going to be meaningfully taken up by drop-in phone, uh, visitors, phone calls, unexpected length of overtime on certain projects or meetings. And at the end of the day, I may have worked eight or nine hours, but I'll have done so without frustration because I built margin into my plan from the very beginning so that I only schedule a certain amount, believing that the margin will be taken up by things I can't anticipate during the day. And that's helped me with this issue of margins, particularly as it relates to time use uh, throughout my day as a ministry leader. Uh, this whole idea of, uh, of uh, margin and guardrails, I, I think you've also been quite the outdoorsman. I know you're very fit. I'm always admiring of you of that. But uh, talk to us about this illustration you like to use about going to Half Dome and uh, the hiking there in Yosemite and the guardrails that are there are not really guardrails, but they're more like uh, cables that are there. Tell us about that. Well, I, I remember the, f- the very first time I took my son, who uh, as a young teenager, we went to the top of Half Dome. It's, it's a very substantial hike to the top. And when you near the, the top, there are cables that are about 300 yards long. And uh, the, the pitch is about 40 to 45 degrees. And if you don't pay attention, if you, if you decide you want to get outside of the two handheld cables that guide you all the way to the top, you are free to do that. You, you can go on the other side of the cable. Nobody's telling you not to do it. However, every couple of years, you read a story of someone who flirts, and not only flirts with it, but flaunts the idea of those cables. And you'll read about someone who takes that fall, takes that plunge 4,000 feet uh, to the bottom. Yeah, man. It's just so important to maintain buffer space on this side of God's guardrails. That's margin. I love that definition of, of the idea. Because when we establish this kind of, or we maintain this kind of margin in our lives, it keeps us from pressing into the guardrail, or in the case of the Half Dome illustration, going over the cable and finding ourselves in a catastrophic situation. Now, all this discussion about time management uh, fits this podcast because we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership, but 
It also raises the question, is margin a biblical concept? So how would you uh, answer that question in the affirmative? Well, I think it's fascinating. It's, uh, in a sense, you can say that God placed a self-imposed margin in his, in his creative order. Uh, when he created, he did work for six days. He created, he built, he designed, and on the seventh day he rested. Did he have to rest? No. He did a self-imposed uh, margin, and he, and I believe that he established this pattern. It's very clear uh, because it made it to the top ten list uh, that this is a pattern that's normative uh, for Christians. It's not a suggestion. It's it actually made it to one of the commandments. I think that's a really good insight. That margin is built into God's creative order, and it's part of who God is as He represents Himself to us, and as He calls us to a pattern of living which follows this rhythm of work six days, rest one. There's supposed to be some margin built into our lives, and that margin gives us time for rest, recovery, spiritual rejuvenation as well, and it's called oftentimes Sabbath. But I I think that when we use that word, um, we sometimes uh, don't fully understand what it means because we only think of it in terms of rest. It's not just inactivity, it's rejuvenation. It's really having that space built into your life for recovery and for focus so that you can move forward more effectively. So I like the answer. Uh, Is margin a biblical concept? Absolutely yes, because it's built into the nature of who God is and how he reveals himself to us, and also it's built into God's prescription of his creative order, and like you said, it also made the top ten list. I mean, Sabbath is pretty important. It made those top 10 commandments. Now, God, uh, of course, has created time and interacts with time and understands that we are created and must act within time. So how does God interact within time, and what does that mean for us, or how does that apply to us as we're thinking about this concept of maintaining margin in our lives? Well, this, this whole topic uh, can take you to a place where it's just it's, uh, too ethereal, but, but, for, but for God to actually order the moments is, is a very fascinating concept to think about. Uh, in, in, his, in his existence, moments aren't really ordered. He just is. But he ordered moments for us. And in doing so, I believe he gave not only order to those moments, but he, but he infuses purpose. And, and, and that purpose is very clear in Scripture that it's a missional purpose to bring all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, consequently, our use of those moments and the sequence of those moments is literally a stewardship. He gave it to us. What are we going to do? We all have an equal number of moments uh, in every day. What are we going to do? To me, it's a stewardship issue. And if I'm going to be fit for life, I I want that stewardship to extend as far into my uh, earthly life as possible. Yeah, Rich, I fully embrace that. I've also taught on the concept of stewardship as being essential to understanding time management. Let me clarify one thing, though, that I think some people get confused about. When we say that you are responsible uh, to use your time as a stewardship issue, you might mishear that and say, well, then I'm supposed to get the maximum amount out of every minute. That's what stewardship is about. But it's really not. Stewardship is about using something for the maximum benefit of the owner. So, for example, we say that all of our resources, uh, financial resources, belong to God, and so we use them for His maximum benefit. The same thing could be said of time. 
all of our time belongs to God. And to say that you're a good steward of time doesn't mean you just rapidly try to get as much done as possible, as efficiently and effectively as possible so you can always be busy. That's not stewardship. Stewardship is saying, how can I use the time allotted to me for the maximum benefit of the one who owns and controls everything about who I am, and that's my Father. That's God. And so stewardship is about careful use, but it's not just about cramming everything in and trying to get the most done. You know, especially when you follow the example of Jesus. I'm, I'm really astounded sometimes by what he spent time doing. He had time to go to weddings. He had time to go to funerals. He had time to go on private retreats. He had time to uh, stroll along teaching his disciples as they walked from place to place. He had time to do all kinds of things that seem so inefficient to me, but he wasn't measuring efficiency by some day timer or some outlook calendar. He was measuring efficiency by, am I fulfilling the mission of God that has been assigned to me? And man, that helps me so much. So thank you for bringing up this issue of the stewardship of time as a part of maintaining margin. Now, one of the concerns that I have is that when people blow through the margin in their lives and don't have any, uh, blow through these barriers, if you will, or these buffers, that they're really headed towards some some pretty destructive conclusions. One of the things you've talked about uh, is that there are indicators that one's load is too high, that there ought to be some flashing lights on the dashboard, so to speak, that tell us we need to back up a bit, that we're, we've lost margin, we've eliminated buffer, we're pressing through the guardrails, we're jumping over the cables, whatever illustrations we've used on the podcast so far, we're doing all of those things in the wrong way. So what is it uh, about our lives that ought to be some of these red lights flashing that tell us we've got a problem with overcommitment and the elimination of margin? Well, I think this is interesting to pay attention to. Um, in, in my car, I've got one of those warning lights that doesn't go off. It stays on. doesn't mean anything, but uh, I'm, I'm tempted just just put a piece of duct tape over it so I don't have to pay attention to that warning light. Right. But if we don't pay attention to the warning light uh, in our spirit, then we're headed for trouble. Um, and, and we're not only headed towards that guardrail, we're going to blow through it. So I would, I would say that every time we flirt with those margins and go through the, um, the barriers, that there are some indicators that, that warn us, hey, danger ahead, mm-hmm. danger ahead. And mm-hmm. f- for many, it shows up in, in, as a physical manifestation. You know, some people can't sleep enough. They are wakeful. Uh, this, this can happen to me when I'm dealing with something that is just unresolved. Um, or, or you could sleep too much. Uh, emotional barriers. I, I get, uh, you know, just as a personal manifestation for me, my wife knows that I've blown through some kind of barrier when I get a tight jaw and I stop laughing. Mm, uh, mm. And I get impatient. I mean, that's an emotional barrier that says, huh, why, why are you doing this? What, what do you need to adjust? How do you need to realign your priorities with the priorities of God in order to, uh, to pay attention yeah, to this? Yeah, let me talk about that one just for a minute, Rich. This was, a, this was a big moment for me. I was at the dentist, and my dentist said, uh, are you having a particularly stressful time right now in your life? And I thought, how did you know that? Because I was going through one of the hardest times that really I've had here as a president, really a rough time. Where we were just dealing with a lot of difficult issues. And he said, your teeth are showing signs that you are grinding them at night or that you're having a clenched jaw all the time. 
and it's a noticeably different than when you were here six months ago. And I thought, how in the world can he tell that? But he nailed me right there that day. And I realize what you're saying, that one of the indications for me that I'm pressing through the margins emotionally is when I have a tight jaw, uh, a lot of tension in my neck and face, loss of humor, loss of, uh, of any kind of lightness or anything like that, uh, impatience that results from that. Uh, so I hear you on that one. So one red light is physical, like sleeplessness or sleeping too much. Another red light is emotional, like tight jaw, loss of humor, impatience, whatever it is and however it shows up in your life. When your wife or your friends or people around you tell you they're seeing this, it's probably another good indication you're pressing through the margins. What about some of these other areas like relationships or uh, spiritual issues, maybe things like that. Yeah, as 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 ministry leaders, we work with people, and if we if we isolate ourselves uh, in a, in a way that just uh, is more than usual, that's, that's something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Isolation or or just living in superficial relationships with people um, that's that's telling us that we need to stop, do an assessment, and perhaps make a course correction. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes my wife says to me. Uh, you seem to be somewhere else today. And it's because I've isolated myself emotionally from the moment. I'm thinking about work and thinking about stressors and thinking about all the issues I've got to deal with. And I'm burning up huge amounts of emotional energy and isolation, just staring out the window thinking, what am I going to do about all this? And she senses that relational pullback and is like, hey, red light's flashing. This is not healthy. What's going on with you? Yeah. Yeah. And the same kind of thing happens to me sometimes uh, with uh, maybe spiritual issues as well. Uh, what, what kind of uh, red light flashing do you see there? Well, I, I think scripture, how, how you handle the book uh, is, is a telltale. Are, are you, um, are, are you ad- addressing God? Are you seeking his scripture? Are you internalizing and integrating scripture throughout your day? Now, if it's been a while since you've really paid attention to the word, that's a huge indicator that says, wow, uh, stop, uh, t- reassess, and correct. So I think what we're trying to say today is this. There are red light indicators that flash, so to speak, on the dashboard of life, whether they're physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. Every one of us needs to be in touch with who we are to a degree that we can recognize when we're having these kind of issues and these kind of struggles. We need to be able to recognize when these red lights are flashing and make some concrete choices to restore margin in our lives, to find that buffer zone again that will return us to a healthier place emotionally. Well, I want to talk about another issue that uh, you've uh, taught on or you've showed me in some of your teaching that I think is just fascinating. You, you have four ways that you categorize time and how we should be using time. And I found these to be uh, very interesting, and I'd like for you to walk us through those four categories, and then we'll talk about each one individually. So as you think about how people use time, what are the four broad categories you like to talk about? Well, there, uh, there are the four Ps, actually what's, what it turns out to be. And the first one is there's a time to press, time to move forward, uh, a, a time to be fully, fully engaged in every way. Uh, there's a time to, uh, to pause, a time to unplug uh, so you can recharge. Uh, the, the third one is a time to persist, and this is where we spend most of our time, frankly, um, just getting through the daily uh, to-do list of, of life in pursuit of our calling. And then finally, and this is one we don't talk about enough as Christians, it, it, it's, it's a time to party, time to play. Uh, 
Uh, and this is, uh, I think, a very scriptural concept that we uh, really don't pay attention to. Yeah, so these four uses of time, press, pause, persist, and party. I, I really like the way you put those together. So let's talk about them, each one, a little bit more. When you say press, you mean this is a time of crisis or a time of intense focus, perhaps a time when you're taking on a major new initiative. Uh, these times come along uh, in our lives. For, uh, these, these ways of using time come along to us from time to time. But what's the danger in terms of losing margin about this issue of press as one way that we use time? Uh, the, the real danger is not seeing these times of pressing as temporary. They have to be temporary. A time of crisis, you can't live in crisis uh, permanently. Uh, you can't address a major new initiative permanently. You've got, there, there is a time to press. And, and so when we talk about balance in life, sometimes that just goes out the window when a crisis comes to you right. or when you seize the initiative to, to start something, create something brand new. So it's a temporary priority in pursuit of a timeless priority. And what I would say, having had to live through a number of these over the, my years in ministry leadership, is I've learned that a time to press needs to be followed by a time to play. And if I've had to press for a week, maybe play only involves a couple of hours out with Ann for lunch or something like that. But a few years ago when the seminary relocated, I had to hit press for about two years. And at the end of that time frame, uh, I took off uh, about eight weeks and just decompressed really from what had happened to me. The board gave me a sabbatical. It really was a life-shaping and life-recovering event for me. So press is an important part of life. And there are times when you do have to press, but you can't live there all the time and maintain any kind of margin. Okay, another one is pause. What did you mean by that when you say another way to use time is to pause? I, I see this as the scriptural concept of, of Sabbathing and that, that cycle. Uh, pause is, is a periodic withdrawal from the I would call the cares of this world uh, for the purpose of refreshment and renewal, rejuvenation. So yeah. you, you just have to be an intentional about um, stopping the press so that you can pause, rethink, connect with God in a fresh way. Yeah, I think pause is different than play, as I mentioned a moment ago, because pause needs to be something that's built into your life on a continuing basis. There needs to be a weekly pause. There needs to be perhaps even a daily pause. But there needs to be some kind of built-in break where you give yourself an opportunity to just catch your breath in the moment, if you will. So, for example, during a time of press, when you're dealing with a crisis or a major undertaking or some new initiative or you're really having to pour all your energy into something, even during those, there can be small intermittent pauses along the way. I mentioned a little while ago that I took an extended pause, which I would really call extended play, where I really pulled away for those weeks after the seminary relocated. But even during the relocation, when I was fully pressing the, uh, uh, fully had my thumb on the press button all that time, I still had to find some times in there to take a pause just to keep myself in, uh, uh, sustained through what I was dealing with. Then third category you call is persist. And you said in the introduction of this section that this is the where most of us live uh, most of the time. So what do you mean by persist as a category of time use? Yeah, per persist, uh, I categorize it this way because it's the, the, I would, the mundane, the, the daily grind of life. And daily grind is, is not uh, suggested to be a negative. It's just the things we do. It's the to-do list 
that we build. It's the, the seemingly the hundred things that we do every day in pursuit of God's eternal mission. But those, those tiny little things we do don't seem to mean much in the moment. But yet uh, someone who persists is, is doing ordinary, the ordinary faithfully over time. And that adds up as you pursue mission by doing the ordinary. It becomes extraordinary. That's excellent. That's excellent. And then you mentioned this last one. That's play. Uh, play is a part of life in the sense that we pull away from time to time, disengage ourselves emotionally from the pressing things we have to deal with, from the pausing, which is a routine part of life, from the persisting, which is that ongoing activity of making life happen. But play is when we really pull back and say, I'm going to disengage now and let some recovery take place. How else would you describe that? Uh, I, I would say God, God told his people in the Old Testament, I am mandating that you take three or four times out of the year where you unplug, you recharge, but not only recharge, but you gather with your friends and family, cook the fatted calf, and you hang out with them and you enjoy. That's a mandate from God, but we somehow don't think that's spiritual. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've I, always been fascinated by those three festivals in the Old Testament that were each one a week long where the people really pulled away and did exactly what you're describing. So, yeah, good work. So I'm not a big party guy, but I, I do love connecting with people. And, uh, and, and we, I think as, as we built that into our calendar, uh, throughout the year that we can feel okay about that because yeah. God said to do it. Yeah, I think that's the key thing for a lot of ministry leaders is self-permission, if you will, to do that very thing. Well, today on the podcast, we've been talking about dealing with overcommitment and the stresses of scheduling in ministry leadership. And my guest, Dr. Rich Johnstone, has been talking about margin, how you build into your daily life a buffer on this side of God's guardrails so that you maintain margin, which gives you a healthier spiritual focus on ministry leadership, healthier relationships in life, and really a greater capacity to do this work that God has assigned us. He said at the end, divide your time use into these four primary categories, press, pause, persist, and party. There's not anything wrong with having all four of those be a part of who you are as a ministry leader. So today, Remember, margin matters. It's a part of sustaining yourself over the long haul as you lead on.